I despise that. And I'll tell you why. I feel like that is the roaster's inability to distinguish and understand what they're bringing to the market and their inability to do that as a company and as a brand is being transferred as pressure to put on producers. Yeah. Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapper Ford, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode two of a five-part series with Martin Mayorga from Mayorga Coffee. In this series, we're talking about the current state of the coffee supply chain. Things are volatile, to say the least. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the state of the coffee supply chain from the perspective of the producer. Martin, give us what your perspective is in, from the lens of the producer. What are you hearing is going on right now? You know, I think, unfortunately, I'm hearing the same thing I've always heard, mm. which is they're having a hard time. And I think what's happening now is it's coming to a head. It's almost there's too many variables. Um, you know, I think if we look right now at the C market and you look overall and C market said $1.80 something, $1.90, it seems decent. You know, um, differentials can be good. Some are pretty bad, depending where you're looking. But you're not really hearing the facts about input costs, right? We heard about them during pandemic where everybody was just surprised by inflation. But these producers' costs have just exploded. Um, mm. Not only uh, inputs as far as uh, fertilizer and all the things that they need to do for the proper agronomy, uh, labor. Labor is either non-existent, and if they can get it, it's very expensive because it's just a supply and demand issue. And why is that labor gone? Because people are leaving these countries. Mm -hmm. And I can speak to Latin America where I focus. I live in Costa Rica. I spend most of my time in Latin America. That's where I conduct business. And it's just, it's, their variables are becoming harder and harder. And look, you have to recognize that I talk about and engage typically the more remote indigenous poor producer. Right. Mm -hmm. So their reality, I don't think has ever really been represented mm -hmm. in our industry properly. There's maybe two or three other companies who actually focus on the co-op model and focusing on helping indigenous communities and doing those things. I think, um, the new wave of investor level or wealthy farmers in Latin America has really just kind of made these guys obsolete, you know, and I think mm -hmm. the more poor impoverished producer is becoming extinct. Um, and I don't blame them because I wouldn't want my children to do something that has kept me in poverty for three generations either. So I think, um, I think we're really at a crisis at that level, which is the producer, everybody talks about help, wanting to help and markets about helping. Nobody's helping. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's extreme. Maybe it's not nobody, but 95% of the people I see out there talking about them are not promoting, are, are not supporting them. And I think, um. Mm -hmm. They're tired of it and rightfully so, you know, I think, um, they should go and, and, and try something different. They should, you know, rip their coffee out and plant cacao. They should rip their coffee out and, you know, and I get people in the industry get very upset with me. I had a conversation with somebody here in Costa Rica where there's a lot of coffee that still hasn't sold from the last harvest. And we're talking December when they're actually picking the next harvest. And my comment to this person was, look. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe Costa Rica has been one of the fortunate countries where mm -hmm. tourism and land value has increased so much that coffee should be a thing of the past. So maybe these coffee farmers, instead of stressing about why they can't sell coffee because the internal costs are so high because it's actually a more developed country. If you can't sell coffee because you're selling at a 450 pound because of your internal costs, then switch. 
you know, sell something else, build cabins, mm. have tourism. And that's not popular at all. And I get people in the coffee industry very upset when I say that. But look, I care more about people than I care about coffee. And that's never going to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to come to a realization that the indigenous remote poor producer with like, you know, order of an acre of land that lives on their coffee farm is being starved out, literally. And I don't think people either care or understand or want to acknowledge that. So the wealthy farmers are great. They're planning their geishas. They're doing their fun processes. They're working with the cool roasters that are hyping them up on social media. They're picking them up in their, you know, $150,000 cars, putting them up in five-star hotels. Those relationships are great, but that's not the reality that I care about and that I think consumers think that they're helping. Nor is it the the majority of producers. You know, I had a, a conversation with someone recently um, who's well-known in the industry about the impact that roasters are having on producers and how that's causing producers to have a very tainted outlook on the idea of specialty coffee. Their big issue is that specialty coffee roasters are coming to producers and saying, we need you to produce coffee that's like this. And so they go to the trouble of buying the imports that are required for that, going to the trouble of, you know, fermentation tanks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the roaster comes back and says, actually, I can't sell it. It doesn't taste the way I thought it would end up selling. Talk to me about what you th- what damage you think that's doing to producers. I despise that. And I'll tell you why. Friends, World of Coffee Dubai is back in 2024. And I am proud to announce that the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapper Forward will be the official podcast partner for World of Coffee Dubai for the second year in a row. The Roasters Village will be a one of a kind destination for all things coffee. As an exhibitor, introduce your artisanal roasts to an international audience and gain valuable insights from their perspective. Visitors, immerse yourself in the celebratory coffee culture experience by sampling exclusive cups, Poured with passion from cafes worldwide and absorb insights that will elevate your own appreciation of all things coffee. Whether you brew coffee or just love savoring a fine cup, this event gathers the global coffee community under one roof in an amazing city. Join us at World of Coffee Dubai in 2024 at Dubai World Trade Center from the 21st until the 23rd of January. Tickets are available at dubai.worldofcoffee.org or you can contact us on social media for any questions that you might have at mapforward.coffee. Get your tickets now, folks. Come see the podcast being recorded live and we hope to see you in January in Dubai for World of Coffee. I feel like that is the roaster's inability to distinguish and understand what they're bringing to the market and their inability to do that as a company and as a brand is being transferred as pressure to put on producers. Yeah. Produce this for me, produce that for me, jump through this hoop, you know, and to me, it's a very selfish move because the, mm-hmm. the reality is you create your brand, you create your point of differentiation, you understand how to compete in this market, work with your producers to then enhance and evolve that, but don't put that pressure on the producers because that's what you're doing. You're telling the producer, make me look good. Give me something different. Well, for these producers, that's a three to five year process sometimes, right? When you have yeah. to plant something, find the seeds, do all the things. And, and I have to say that. The biggest issue I'm seeing right now, and I'm telling you, this is 
bad is there are producers who cannot they still have coffee they can't sell from last harvest and producers that I work with very closely who typically have sold 80% of their crop, you know, by now when they start picking, who've sold 10%. Um, Why? And I think what's happened, because roasters are realizing that talking about points and talking about a process, A, is not a point of differentiation because anybody can do it. I could, at the snap of my fingers today, turn all the millions of pounds of coffee that I buy into coffee that's only 86 plus points natural process. That's just, mm -hmm. it's easy. That's not, that's a linear process. It's not differentiation. Mm -hmm. And I think because roasters are starting to hit, be hit with that reality, they're not buying the coffee from producers. Mm -hmm. And those producers who overinvested into that with hopes and with dreams of $5 coffee and, you know, having these partners, guess what happens? These roasters just don't come back. It's not a conversation. It's not, hey, they just, oh yeah, we didn't hear from these people and those people. And I'll tell you, I started seeing this happen in 2020. I probably bought 30 containers of coffee that I didn't need, 30 containers being over 1.2 million pounds of coffee to help producers who got just screwed by small roasters who made all the promises in the world. But then it was, oh, well, pandemic and businesses down. So all this partnership and all this, you know, we're investing in people just went out the window. And frankly, it's, it hasn't come back and I don't think it will. To give people some perspective on what kind of volumes of coffee we're talking about that you deal with, how many containers are you buying a year, roughly? You know, I don't get into specifics of my business, but it's in the hundreds. Right. Uh, That's about, enough. And That's I can fine. tell you something interesting. Yeah. I buy probably more microlot coffee than companies who specialize in microlots. You know, a lot of people think, oh, and first of all, just to make it clear, there's this perspective that if you're buying in the hundreds of containers of volume, you're buying commercial. I'm buying minimum 82, and that's only when it's partner farms that are having a tougher year. We will accept an 82 to kind of, we don't bail in our producers. But we do 83, 84 point coffees all day long. And then for fun, we'll throw in some crazy, you know, process and some geishas and some 87s. And, and just the fun stuff is significant. It's in the hundreds of thousands of pounds. So I want to dispel this notion that if you're moving hundreds of containers, you must be working commercial. Let me be very clear. In the 83 point plus world, there are thousands of containers, hundreds of thousands of containers available. So let's not get into this world where we think that we're very special because we sell, sell small volumes. We're just small, right? And my model is scale got us into this problem. And by got us into this problem, I mean, I mean that scale allowed the trade to abuse and exploit and take advantage of producers and kill and ruin communities in the countries that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And to me, the only way to reverse that is through scale. So whoever thinks they can get on a high horse and talk to me about my organ not caring because we're big, needs to understand the reality of what got the, the farming side into this mess and what can get us out. And it's not going to be done one bag at a time. It has to be done hundreds of containers at a time because we're talking about billions of pounds that have impoverished communities. I, I feel that what's happened over the last at least decade is that we've been kicking the can down the road on fixing what's broken about our supply chain, starting from the producer. And something that has fed that is the easy credit and the cheap money and people not having to take accountability 
for living within their means uh, when it comes to buying specific coffees and being overindulgent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I get the feeling that what's coming is us having to, as an industry, having to be accountable for having dessert for dinner for too many years in a row. And I think now we're going to be held accountable. You know, Warren Buffett has this saying, when the tide goes out, that's when you know who's swimming naked. I think we're about to start to see that. I think we're at the very early stages. You and I had a conversation the other day that we're at the beginning of a cycle that's going to reveal a lot about what's really going on in the supply chain. Yeah, I mean, I personally, maybe I'm a little more jaded after 25 plus years of, of trying to make a difference. And <laughs> I'm plenty jaded, bro. <laughs> I, I don't think the industry cares. And I think those who can make a difference are the ones who cause the challenges and will mm -hmm. benefit from them. And I think the newcomers who pretend to want to make a difference are doing that as window dressing and a little bit of a facade so that they can sell more coffee and live their lifestyle. Because a lot of people are in this industry for a lifestyle of it. You know, I think the comparison I would give, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, you know, I remember when the pandemic started before we knew there was a pandemic. I remember late 2019, maybe early 2020, you'd see videos on the news about these people in China just falling over in the streets and dying. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, wow, look at what's happening in China. And there was almost like people didn't really care. It was just like, that's crazy. And then you hear somebody in Europe got it. It's like, wow, somebody in Europe's getting it. Now people that look like us are getting it. That's a little scary. Mm -hmm. And then you hear, so we don't care about things as an industry. And I say we, I shouldn't say we. They don't care about these things as an industry until it can affect them. And I think what's happening is that the global economy and the variables in the global economy are starting to affect the players who have been getting used to the easy money and the mm -hmm. easy margins and never cared about the people they saw in the videos or they went to visit on an origin trip where they took pictures with them and dressed like, you know, somebody from that country and picked coffee and smiled for the camera. And now they're realizing, oh, wait, it's going to affect us now. This, this, you know, these challenges can affect us. Um, you know, tough shit. I mean, that's my, that's my opinion. Yeah. And for me, it, because it angers me because we could have, we've always we had the opportunity it. to make an impact. And we've always had, and I've done everything. I've built a business to make an impact. And what have I done? Look, frankly, I could have tripled this business and sold it out 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I've had seven offers to buy my company in the last five years. Um, I haven't built a company to scale and to exit. I haven't built a company to gain market share. I built a company to make an impact. And frankly, it's been tough. It's been very tough. You know, and I have to make decisions that make my life harder. I don't have salespeople. We don't do trade shows. We, why? Because anything we can say, we drive to the bottom of the supply chain, which is the producer, and to the top, which is the, the consumer. And guess what? I have spent time and money and energy burning, which is something that a lot of people in our industry haven't done. I've spent the, last, the first 15 years of my time living in, I lived in a cigar factory, you know, and I slept in the back of a cigar factory, and I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go out to the farms, and I learned everything I could. Mm -hmm. I studied finance in college, and I learned more about finance. I learned... You know, to this day, I wake up 3.30, 4 in the morning every day, and I have a routine of following certain news cycles, following certain financial news, understanding. I, I educate myself, mm -hmm. not just about how beautiful this coffee is and how good it's going to make me look. I educate myself about reality, and I educate myself about reality in our countries where we grow coffee. You know, to the point where I remember when 
Um, my now wife worked with me and we would be at farms and I would talk to producers. She would get so uncomfortable because I would ask them things like, how much money do you borrow a year? Who loans it to you? What's the interest rate? What kind of collateral is there? Do you know anybody who has lost a farm? Do you, you know, it's uncomfortable, but it's reality. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of feel like at this point, people are caring because it affects them. And I think it's super selfish. And frankly, I've invested everything I have literally, not only financially, but time-wise into making sure I can make an impact. And of course I care about myself and my family. Of course, that's a mm -hmm. complete priority, but it's not the only thing. And I think a lot of people are now waking up because it's going to affect them. And all these are the same people who claim to have cared about producers all along. Um, and I think reality is coming to hit a lot of people across the head. There are going to be winners and there are going to be massive, massive losers. I've, I'm of the opinion that there are going to be more losers than there are going to be winners. And the winners are going to be split up between people who are the kind of people who will win by surviving because they've built sustainable businesses, they have great relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Then there's the other winners, the ones that are opportunists, like sociopathic assholes that will take their piles of money and go and uh, consolidate cafes all over uh, a city or farms or whatever it is. Who are going to be the losers when it comes to the producing end? Who are going to be the losers? On the producer side? Mm -hmm. The poor producer. They are always the loser. Um, I Is think, it just um, the producer though? Is it going to be mills? No, Is it going to be... It's okay. everybody. It's everybody. Because, you know, they're, these producers are community. This is what people don't realize. And this is why I like to work in cooperatives. You know, producers in an aggregate equals community. Mm. Community equals talents. You know, there, this is why I got into this industry. I saw entire, you know, towns that I would go to with my dad, whether it was tobacco or coffee and how they, you know, the town either boomed or busted based on a market. Mm. You know, I started actually in the cigar industry. And I started in this town called Esteli, Nicaragua. Uh, you know, I, I, that's where I lived in a cigar farm with a Placencia family in a cigar factory. That place turned into a mini Las Vegas because of a cigar boot. Wow. It changed like you wouldn't believe. Meanwhile, coffee communities went from boom to bust. Mm -hmm. And bells were left abandoned and farms were left unpicked. So the reality is that it all has a human cost. You know, I would back up a little bit and you mentioned about who the winners would be. My mm. opinion is the winners of the educated people who are educated about Word. not only their product, their market, their business, but everything. I'm sorry. Global economics, geopolitics, everything. everything. Yeah, well, and if you don't yeah. know, you better learn it. You better learn it. Mm -hmm. And if you give a good example, look, the multinational trader never moves. And as much as you might, you know, people might have their negative thoughts about them, very smart people. And very educated and they very much know what the lay of the land looks like. And once you know, once you're educated, you can almost, I wouldn't say predict the future, but you can prepare for it. And I think the educated prepare for the future. Some extract the life out of it and just put others out of business in the process. Some know how to just get a little piece. And that's how my org has grown. We've grown every year, double digits aggressively. Some, you know, some years even more. But it's because we're educated enough to know mm. what we should be doing today for the next six months. And that's, that's the policy I have with my team, which is whatever we do today, 
of course we have to fill orders. We have to do, but everything has to be in the context of what do we, where are we going to be in six months, a year and five years. We even have a monthly meeting where it's an all hands management meeting and it's only talking about the future. We don't talk about anything present. We come up with ideas for the future that can be crazy. That can be wild, but you have to, mm -hmm. you know, but like going back to who loses the ones with the least amount of money, that's the bottom line. And that includes coffee companies, right? That includes mm -hmm. coffee companies that are, have SBA loans with floating rates that are now hitting 10%. Yeah. And, I think that's going to be you know, the biggest losers, the people with the most leverage, the people with the yeah. highest debt, unable, like who have not given themselves enough room for interest rate increases. Where I think we're up to interest rate increase number seven. And who knows how many more are coming? Who knows what's going to go on? I think that's going to be who the big losers are. I think the biggest thing we need to, and by the way, on, on loans, yeah, I had a friend tell me the other day that he was looking to an SBA loan. And it's like a 3% origination fee, which is right off the top. And then something like 10.2% interest rate. It's massive. Wow. But, I, you know, one of the things I think we also have to, that blows my mind about human nature, which is we have these very selective memories. And we think because there was this weird boom during pandemic, which came with other costs, that that's just the new world, right? We open a website, we do some things on social media, we make up some stories about direct trade. We look good. We talk about indigenous populations and all of a sudden we're going to grow this massive uh, sales stream. Those days are behind us. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't realize that consumerism, markets, and all the variables, they're, they're fluctuating and changing always. And I think people get very comfortable. You know, I think people think because I bought a house when the prices are going up, it's always going to go up. Things no. go up and down and sideways and left and right. And, and I think that is the biggest thing. Humans get comfortable and they have short memories, mm -hmm. such short memories. And I think the amount of people that are over levered right now is scary. Yeah, it's very scary. You know, about three years when we started talking about people being over levered, for those who don't know what that means, people are in too much debt, basically. And um, we started talking about challenging times coming and we were early. Granted, we were early. I thought it was going to happen a lot sooner than it's happened. But people were contacting me saying, why are you being so negative? Like, you're predicting something that's not likely to happen. Look at the state of the economy. And I'm like, I'm not fortune telling here. I'm informed. I spend a lot of time listening to different financial media, different political media, different, reading different, a lot of different publications. And this was, anyone who says they didn't see what's coming, coming, just isn't informed. This was predictable as predictable gets. And I agree. it's scary as shit, to be honest with you. I'm scared of all these people who have borrowed all of this money because they thought that, look, you know, it, it, everyone else is doing it. It's a success fallacy. And we've been waxing poetic about it for decades in this industry. And now I think is the time that there's going to be a significant cleansing, a correction of sorts. Yeah, I think the important part is that it's going to start with the poorest producers and work its way up, and it already has. And, um, you know, going back to the amount of producers telling me they haven't sold coffee, it's sad. Mm -hmm. It's scary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think roasters don't really care about their impact. You know, one of the things I'm seeing now is 
things that roasters used to kind of badmouth Nyorga about is, you know, oh, they blend, they, they don't care about quality. Oh, they roast dark, they don't care about quality. How many roasters do you see now talking about, oh, we blend because it's an art form. Yeah. Same people that were badmouthing oh, yeah. Nyorga for doing it. Oh, we roast dark because, well, we also have to understand that all our decisions have an implication. So now we're changing how we buy. We're basically deciding to not buy from somebody to buy from somebody else. Or I think roasters don't care about or understand mm-hmm. how their presence can really like abandon communities, you know, and I've had countless producers tell me, look, we love working with Myrga because you guys, we know we're selling to you every year. We know we're working with you every year. You know, and my, my quote to them is I don't buy from you. You don't sell to me. We both sell coffee to my clients. Mm-hmm. This is a partnership. We're in this for the long haul. Uh, during the coffee roast years, you know, we couldn't get our coffee. We planted Chia. We paid, we helped them pay their loans with Chia money. Like we will do this together. Mm-hmm. And I think that mentality is just, it's not there. It's not there in the industry. No. You have a strategy. So coffee forward, you know, the whole, you know, the term coffee forward is when I learned in the pandemic and it's so disgusting yeah. because fine, care about coffee, but how about being people, community and humanity mm-hmm. forward? I don't think that exists. No. We're now heading into territory that talks a bit about the exporter and the trader and the importer. So in the next episode, folks, join us for that, where we have a conversation about the perspective of the industry from them. Um, And before we go, please remember to share this series with everyone that you can so that we can get people informed about what's coming. The more people that understand what is happening, the better it's going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed to kind of get people ready for what we're talking about is coming in this series. Anyway, peace, love and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.